Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer. During the initial stages of the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, two years later, I'm not only healthy, but I've been declared in remission. But I'm still continuing this podcast, during which I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. And now I'm also calling some new people to make some new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. I've been in this industry a very long time, and it evolves. And you have to learn how to keep up, how to be ahead of the curve, to think about what's next, not what was past. You're always trying to reinvent yourself and evolve. And for my industry, that's towards more video, audio, and things that people can quickly consume. I'm intrigued by the the hire of Brett Yormark as Big 12 Commissioner because he's an outsider who's been in the same universe of sports, but not in this specific galaxy. Adam Stanko is that kind of guy for 24-7 sports. He comes to us from outside of our normal realm, but he's been experienced at ESPN. He's been a, a national basketball recruiting expert for years. He's still considered one of the great NBA draft experts that you could have on your show. But now he's the new boss, the new head of 24-7 Sports. He's got a fancy title from CBS Paramount, but he's a guy in charge of us. And he comes with a little bit different resume than what you might think, but he brings with him the same type of things Brett Yormark does a lot of perspective that maybe we needed from someone on the outside and a lot of that will be coming very clear to everyone in the near future. Adam Stanko, great guy, started in Topeka. He's been around and he knows this industry and he's still pretty young by my standards. So now let's call the new boss at 24-7 Sports, Adam Stanko in Nashville, Tennessee. Hello. Adam Stanko. Uh, hey, by the way, happy Sunday morning. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> is this your typical thing to do after a hard night 
Saturday night in Nashville is to wake up and talk to people on the phone? Uh, I'm always talking to people on the phone if you talk <laughs> to my wife about it. So, um, no, this is uh, – I, I would say, though, also I don't have hard nights in Nashville. I have four kids. Well, that was one of my questions I was going to ask. Uh, I, I went back and listened to some podcasts, and as of 18 months ago, you had four kids. I was wondering if you're up to six or seven yet. No, we're still at four. So you're holding. Stopping at four. Oh, okay, good. that's good. That's good. Well, boss, uh, first of all, I, I don't know if I've officially said this, but welcome to the network. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, I was doing some research, which is odd for me, last night, and uh, I just really appreciate to have someone in charge of our network that, for lack of a better way of saying this, is one of us. I mean, you came up through the recruiting ranks, even though you weren't with 24-7, but you you paid the dues, haven't you? Yeah, I, I well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, it's so weird even hearing hearing you say boss. I don't, I don't consider myself in that <laughs> in that realm. Um, yeah, I, you know, my my first gig was was in your neck of the woods. I was I was in Topeka, Kansas. I was a news reporter, one man band, just looking for my shot, um, trying to figure something out for WIBW. You know, Rick Felsberg and uh, Mark Ewing, Steve G. Uh, that whole crew, but Dave Relihan, uh, Melissa Bruner, now Melissa Brown. I don't, I don't know how many of those people are are still in the uh, in the area, still doing it. But but um, as I was there, I got a, I got an opportunity to come. I'm a I'm a guy that grew up outside of Philadelphia in Westchester, PA. Went to school with the Jackass Clan, um, Bam Margera and Brandy DiCamillo and those guys. I went to high school with them and. And I had a chance to come back to the Pennsylvania area and, and do a national high school sports show, host and produced it. And really, I mean, it was it was the recruiting world before before uh, YouTube and, and Twitter and all the socials. It was it was crazy. We had a, a wonderful opportunity to get tape in from all over the country and we're crafting all American teams and uh, we're getting all these local shows. We're sending us video because we would provide content for local shows and then we also provided a national show uh and we were in a bunch of different markets and and for a guy that was in his early 20s and who loved recruiting and grew up on street and smiths and was so interested in what was happening all over the country on the football and basketball side i mean to cover guys like you know at the time it was it was on basketball side it was lebron and, and carmelo anthony but you know and football it was cedric benson and vince young and um it was it, it was just a wild the brody croyle i remember was coming up dj shockley it was it was a it was a great time uh in in my life and so yeah it's something that's always been near and dear to me is that i i love recruiting i i always was interested in in seeing i, I guess it started just locally trying to see you know, where the guys around me were going to end up going to school. We had some real serious talent in southeastern Pennsylvania when I was growing up on the football side. and I was always interested in where those guys were going to go. And, and um, I don't know, it just, it's, it's something that's never left me. I've, I've always been interested in trying to see and find that, that next big thing before the rest of the world does. And obviously 24-7 does it better than anybody. So. Yeah, I mean, that kind of spoke about my career and, and the evolution of recruiting coverage. There's nothing that brings back maybe not worse memories, but more stressful memories than chasing tape. I got to get tape. This, this doesn't really happen until I have tape and trying to find someone to send you VHS tape was just like an ongoing struggle 
like finally I you know finally a coach would like sneak me some tape or something from K State, but don't tell Bill <laughs> Snyder that happened. No, no, I, I totally understand. I I get it. There's you know it's funny. There was um I tell people this this story. So the way that our our high school show worked. Um, it was pretty great. It, it was formerly the Philadelphia Enquirer High School Sports Show, and then it turned into High School Sports Show America. Um, it's almost impossible to find anything on it now, although any any old tape of Kobe Bryant that you see uh, from his high school days was was during that, that era and all. And that was a couple of years before me, but it was a local high school show sponsored by the local newspaper. But for us, we had all of these other shows nationally, like I said, that were in different markets and the local high school, I mean, the local paper would, would sponsor the show. And one of the things that happened was I remember one day, Dewan Wagner, uh, people may not remember, although DJ Wagner, his son now, obviously, um, one of the top recruits in the country. But Dewan, would, when he was coming up through Camden, New Jersey, um, we had found out locally, we knew Dewan and we covered him a lot because he was a local kid. And we got word that Dewan was on his way to scoring 100 points one night. And so we go and uh, head over there. And um, I feel like it was earlier in the afternoon. But so we go and get and get footage of the, the game. We sent our cameraman over and said, hey, we're hearing the kids up to like 60 points in the first half, something like that. You know, something crazy. I don't know. And so it was like we got to go over and get footage of it. So our camera guy goes over and the um, – that night, like, we get a call from um, our producer from uh, the show that was on in Houston. And he said, hey, I want to let you guys know a kid scored 100 points in a game tonight. And we said, yeah, we know. Um, but how do you know? And he's like, what do you mean? And we're going back and forth. What do you mean? How do you know? How do you know? <laughs> and I'm like, why are you calling me? You're in Houston. He goes, yeah, it's a local kid here. Well, it turns out on the same night, DeWan Wagner scored 100 points locally there in, in Camden, a kid named Cedric Hensley had also scored a hundred points. That's incredible. And uh, so, yeah, the next question of course is, can we get footage? I guarantee you that and I've, I, I know Lamar Hurd, who actually covers the Blazers. Now he's their color guy was actually on the same team as Cedric Hensley. And I'm, I'm friends with Lamar. And later in life, I've told Lamar his competition there in Houston was not as good as DeWan's in, in New Jersey. So, um, and I had the tape to prove it to your point about chasing tape. Uh, I don't know if you want me saying this about what might be considered competition, but God bless Huddle. God, God bless them. They do all that now for us, and but with digital, everyone just uploads their film anyhow. It's incredible how things. Yeah, are and, I, I, I'll, and I'll tell you, if it's, it, I don't. It's not competition. I mean, the, what Huddle does, they they provide this this great service and the ability to get tape on it on anyone. And um, yeah, we we. We're actually, you know, in, in talks right now with some ways that we can that we can partner up. So yeah, it's it's not a question. I mean, they're, what they do is incredible, and uh, you know what we're looking to do on the video side. I think is going to be quite different, but there's definitely ways in which there's a there's a partnership there, and, and we know it. We already do on some level partner with with Huddle. So um, yeah, it's it's changed the game completely. It's amazing how many resources there are now something happens the night before and it's, you don't wait any more weeks to get a tape in. Um, and then that pops out and people see it or they don't. Now it's something happens and somebody uploads it onto Twitter and they're there in 30 seconds and all of a sudden the rest of the world is seeing it. So it's obviously changed and we're obviously dating ourselves too. I know I had a whole side gig in the spring and summer of doing recruiting roadshows of putting together a, about a 45 minute 
reel of the K-State recruiting class, setting it to trademarked music that I would never do now and going out to, <laughs> to bars and that had a you know video system and, and showing it and doing you know about a 30 minute Q&A afterwards. It was a whole kind of spring summertime side gig, but that quickly went away once all the highlights showed up on online where fans can watch it. And I love that fans can just, you know, go check out a recruits video now. I, they don't have to trust a monkey like me to tell them if a kid's good. They, they've got their own eyes. And <laughs> so <clears throat> I kinda, I, I'm kind of weird about it. I, I love the fact that we don't break stories anymore, which is kind of weird to say. But I love that the kids now have the power to, to control their own announcement. And, you know, we, we now are working to coordinate with them a little bit and do some stuff on – CBS Sports HQ and that kind of thing, but I love that the kid can go on Twitter and say, I'm going to blah, you know, and it doesn't have to use someone as a conduit to make that announcement. I I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm a big believer in player empowerment. I'm, I'm so excited about where a lot of things are headed. I, I feel like, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing players get um, compensated in ways that they never were before, which I think, I think is fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, but more than that, I think being able to control, you know, I hate the the term when people are talking about brands or, um, who an individual is, but really it is uh, the fact that you can create your own narrative and, and they're having fun with it. And I know, you know, it's a, it's a blast for these kids, um, that they can, they can now control the way that they're, they're handling these things. And it's been great. I mean, on the 24 seven side that, for us to be able to sort of become the home of commitments now for, for top tier prospects has been, has been awesome. I mean, we were seeing on the CBS sports HQ side and, and now for us at 24 seven sports to be able to, to showcase this and really let these kids tell their stories. I mean, a kid the other day commits to Florida and brings two Gators <laughs> to his commitment of, you know, his live commitment. And then you got, you know, obviously the personalized videos were hot for a minute and now you see you know, different Instagram posts and all that kind of stuff. But it is, it is a way to, you know, um, capitalize. And I don't just mean financially, but just capitalize in the moment and, you know, it's so fleeting, uh, the career sometimes. And, you know, the majority of these kids aren't going to be playing professionally. But for them to get an opportunity to get a taste of, of fame and all that and, and control that, um, I, I think it is pretty cool. And, I, and I'm with you about the breaking news. That's been, I think, the, one of the biggest changes uh, in the last couple decades is the fact that it was all about before getting the scoop. And now it's about how do you advance the story and I think that's been fascinating too. And I'm trying to figure out how we all play that game, I guess, right. as, as journalists. All right. It's, it, it's constantly evolving. And I want to get into a lot of the 24 seven sports network stuff, but I, I do want to pause here and talk about WIBW. You weren't there very long. Uh, it was funny. I was listening to another podcast you were on and you talked about uh, your former boss. And I think I know who you're talking about. And yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, it, it, <laughs> I've noticed as of late that there has been a uh, notable depletion of young talent, particularly in TV, but also in, you know, our our region of whatever it is, print, you know, digital communication. Um, and it's troubling. I've seen a couple of really, really talented younger people. Of course, everyone's younger than me right now in the industry. But uh, get out. Get out in the prime of their where their career should be taking off. And it frustrates me, but you saw things early 
kind of like I did, like, I don't want to be part of this traditional media machine. I was a sports editor of a newspaper. It's line of journal here. I had staff. There were six of us on the sports department, which is unheard of now. Um, and, uh, I just kind of decided this isn't for me. I, I need to do, I need to zero in on one thing and do it really well. You did it on the recruiting side. I did it on the school site side, but, uh, it, it kind of makes us old, but anyhow, WIBW, give me your brief synopsis of your time in Topeka and, and why there isn't a statue of you there in Topeka oh. somewhere. Uh, there's not a statue, but, but there's, there's um, probably a list of people that will, will tell you. Um, we had some, we had some really good times. I, uh, I, I'm always going to be grateful for my, my time in Topeka, you know, as a, as a, I went to Ithaca college in, in upstate New York. And all I knew is that I wanted to do something on air and I loved sports. And that was ultimately the dream and wanted to get into sports production somehow. But, it, but at the time I'm just trying to figure out my way and like just sending tapes all over the country. And, uh, and for those, the younger generation, what we mean is it's either VHS tapes or, or beta tapes or something that someone could actually play. This was, this is a non-digital world where we're referring to here, but, um, yeah, I was, I was sending tapes all over the country, just hoping that someone would give, give me a chance. Um, and I had, and I had done some interning and, and sort of built a real, um, while I was in college, but had no clue like what I was getting into or what I wanted to do. And, and yeah, they took a shot on me. It was, it was seven sixty nine an hour. Uh, I remember that that first job. And when I went out to Topeka, it was sort of, Hey, just, you're going to have to figure this thing out. I was one man banding, which for people who don't know, is you shoot your own stuff, you edit your own stuff, you're on camera. Uh, so I was a reporter doing that like three days a week. And then the other couple days I was, I was just a uh, photog, a shooter, and I would go out and then shoot stories. The one-man band-aid stuff was amazing. Like, I'd go, and I remember there was one point there was a uh, a graveyard which had, had overgrown with weeds, and that was our story we were covering. And so I show up at this cemetery, set up the camera on a tripod, and I'm doing a stand-up by myself in front of these, like, gravestones and people are coming to pay respects to their loved ones. And here I am looking like <laughs> a crazy person just standing up talking, trying to do a, a news report. I, I, it was, you know, I had a, but I, w I will say, I, I, I say this to people all the time though. What I learned in, in Topeka um, was the, the best education I could get in this industry of media in terms of storytelling and editing the talent that we had, they're on staff, so many people waiting to get, I realized it was different for me as a kid who grew up in the Northeast and thought about New York and, and even LA as places that were ultimate destinations. There were so many people that, that the dream was Kansas city and they were just waiting for the next Kansas city job to open up. Right. So there was all this talent that was sort of there and WIBW had this tradition. And, and I knew walking in day one, it was, Oh wow, these guys are serious, but they taught me how to write for television. They, they taught me what it was about to tell a story or how to conduct an interview. And, you know, I picked up obviously a bunch of other lessons along the way, but, but that first stop meant everything. And I just was able to soak in so much from so many talented people. And, and just like all young people, I think I probably 
thought I knew more than I, than I really did way, way more. And I had no clue. And so the people were just really kind and, and took to me and I, I would go to the Oakland rec center. I remember there and play basketball and, uh, spent my time really just trying to figure it all out at the time. I was, I was just trying to figure out what was going to be next for me and just hopeful that I could get some opportunity in sports and, and, you know, like I said, the sports department there, Mark Ewing and Steve G were great, but they weren't interested in having me work on the sports side. They knew I liked sports and enjoyed it and we had a great relationship, but they had a sports team to put together and I was on news. And, and I'll tell you the one thing too, that I realized was that I just got desensitized real quick to news. I just knew I didn't want to do news. I, yeah. I remember being in, and murder scenes and and uh there were a lot of accidents involved i mean there was helicopter crashes and there was people crashing their car into trains which i didn't realize was as popular i mean <laughs> or as common i mean that's what i mean it's like we're more just as common as as a, of a problem as it was but like all these things were happening and and the idea that you know it's i don't know 11 o'clock at night or what have you and here you bring your heavy battery pack um at the time you know we're carrying along these heavy batteries and big cameras and your tripod and you're putting all your equipment away and you're signing out for the night and all of a sudden you know here comes the story about some meth lab blowing up and there's there's a major fire and and the the, the sad part about all this stuff is like oh no now i gotta get the thought in my mind is, oh, now I got to go and work some overtime hours and go cover this thing. And it's the last thing I want to do. And meanwhile, there are people involved, you know, right. and there, there are victims here. And so that was the part for me, I think, the idea that when I started to be able to compartmentalize and say, oh, this is hard for me, not thinking about how it's impacting all these people that are going through some difficult times, that's when I, I was convinced like okay i learned a ton but this isn't this is not the place for me it's not it's not in in local news for sure yeah it's you got to kind of pay your dues and find out who you are and can i do this and that's a, that's a step a lot of young journalists i see skipping maybe just out of opportunity because you know they can come work for us or something that uh skips all those things you did all the contraptions i took into press boxes or at the high school basketball games to make sure I could attach to a phone to send back a story <laughs> that would go beep, 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 beep. You could hear it down the line. And it's just amazing. It, it, absolutely amazing. But uh, my Topeka is St. Joe, Missouri. And I remember being in St. Joe as my first real stop thinking, what am I doing in St. Joe, Missouri? Because it's not far from my home here in central Kansas, but it was a world away. I mean, it was a totally different culture. And uh, of course, that's where Bill Snyder is from. And so years later when I got into this, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where he grew up. I know exactly where he went to school. So it's funny how you you don't always know what you're doing at the time, but you've kind of figured it out later. And, yeah. and that happened with me certainly in St. Joe, Missouri. And I've cherished my time there, even though um, it's not full of tons of great memories, but it, it was that's why I was there. I now understand exactly why I was there. I, it's it's funny that you, that you say all that, and I, I think you're you're spot on about the younger generation. Although I think it's probably just young people at any point. I know I felt that way too. If I could have skipped steps, um, I think I would have gladly done that. Oh, yeah. I, I, but, but I push now to the younger people looking either for jobs or guidance or advice or something to reach out. I was I was come back to the fact that you have to find a way. Um, to better yourself at the craft. And so there's not a traditional path anymore. And so that that's where I do feel like 
in some ways, yeah, they're, 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 it's easier. I mean, I would have, I would have loved to have gotten a, a job at, at a twenty four seven team site or work for twenty four seven or or CBS Sports Digital when I was coming out of college, and, and to get something like that would have been incredible. Or even just early on in my career would have been unreal for me. But what was best for me at the time was that I had a chance to learn from others, and I really needed that. And you know, there's some really sharp people that come right out of school and. I, I needed to to have some real world experience. I had a great time at Ithaca and, and learned a ton, but it was more about when I got out and started getting these other jobs and, and learning and getting mentors and picking up from others. There was a, a guy who basically discovered me, uh, a guy by the name of Don Kimberling, passed away a couple of years ago. He was a huge mentor to me working on this high school sports show, and he was in his mid-60s and helping out this young kid and I was coming up and, but he, he had been part of some of the early NFL film stuff and, and some old school college tapes that they would send. They would old Penn state and Florida tapes and all over the country. These schools would, would pay um, to have these tapes done. But like you think about back in the day, the John Facendas and the great voices of NFL films and Chris, uh, Frankel, I want to say, uh, Franklin or Frankel, but the, but Philly had a longstanding tradition with, with NFL networks and there was tell raw productions, um, which was also early on for, for the NFL about the video productions that were being put out. So it's like, I had these people, somehow got lucky at Topeka and then, and then back in Philly, these people who looked after me and just taught me a lot, but it starts with me for the craft. And if you don't, if you don't have an appreciation and wanting to get better and it's just about the fame or it's just about making some more money, then, I mean, it's not to say that that you can't still accomplish those things, but if you don't take the craft seriously, you'll never get to the level that that you want to get um, professionally. I, I think there's, that's the part that you just, you can't skip. And and that's the thing that I just push to people all the time. You have to learn how to conduct interviews. You have to learn how to be a professional. You have to, you have to learn from the experience so many others have had. And, and, um, you know, like I said, I, I was sort of lucky I fell into that, but I know a lot of the younger people, um, and myself included probably don't want to go through those steps, but if you don't go through the fire, there's, there's no chance you're going to end up as somebody who's a really, really quality employee. Yeah, I've shifted to the uh, wise old man stage of my career, which is <laughs> terrifying for anyone who knows me. Uh, but when I speak to Kansas State journalism students, I, I, I say a lot of the same things you just said, that you have to just focus in on your craft. First of all, I don't care if you're going to be print or digital or TV or radio. Uh, you have to learn to write. Because even if you're on TV, you're writing your script, or now you're writing for the website, which is inevitable because everyone's got a website. You you have to learn to do that, and also you have to learn how to interview people, ask good questions, ask you know insightful questions. But also, if you're going to do something like this, you need to learn how to shift from interview to conversation, which are two different things. And you know, it's it, there's a lot of nuance to what we do instead of just writing down questions and and peppering away at people. It's it's fun. It's it's been enjoyable <clears throat> to to kind of ride the wave. You know what I mean? To to mm-hmm. figure out um, what's coming next and try to stay up on your board the whole time. How I ended up in a surfing metaphor, I have no freaking idea. But um, you know, just try to get there and, and 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 stay afloat with what you're doing in your industry because it does change so much. Uh, and it, and we're seeing it at 24-7, and I, I kind of like the fact that we're fairly nimble, even though we're part of a 
you know, a larger corporate structure because that's not known for being nimble. But at 24-7, we can shift gears quite easily, can't we? Uh, without question. And I think that, I mean, that's been the best part for me. I tell people all the time, it's a dream job right now. And if you'd asked me even five years ago, hey, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? I still would have told you I had, I had no idea, uh, even though I'm you know, happy doing doing different things and where my career had taken me. But this, this job sort of encapsulates all of it because the people we have and the staff and yeah, this idea that we can sort of go in any direction and that we've, I think, just done such a good job embracing the digital age and understanding how to cover it. And, you know, I talk to people that I'm friends with at major networks that cover different sports and don't call anybody out individually, but they'll, but you, these, these networks that think that I, I think people would assume that they all have it figured out. And I, you know, I could spend a lot of time at ESPN. They're figuring out their, their digital strategy. Um, there's people I know I've spoken to at NFL network who do an outstanding job there as well. And they're saying, man, it's just that how things are handled now in this new media era, like we're, we're still trying to figure out and they, they do a lot of things really well, but in the digital space, I think, We've done such a good job with, and, and everyone in the CBS Sports Digital family, um, you know, whether it's CBS Sports HQ or Max Preps and 24-7 Sportsline, I mean, it's just, there's really, it's been great to just watch an organization that just understands how to navigate it. And really, as you say, I mean, part of the whole strategy has to be that you're just flexible and that you're nimble and that uh, you realize that things are not going to be the same, you know, and the only constant is change. And so you have to, you have to adapt. And I think we've done a really good job with that. And just in watching 24 seven historically before I got here and, and how the company was always great with that. And, and, you know, and the infrastructure that, that Shannon had built Shannon Terry and he established a place and, and now we're, you know, hoping to take this thing to, to a whole nother level, but, but it's just remarkable. Like he, he um, it's, it's so weird to me. You know, we, we talk about where things were and it feels like in some ways it was so long ago. And yet, you know, and it really it's, you know, we're talking 20 years and, and so much has just changed. Uh, but I always come back to the fact that the basics don't, the storytelling doesn't change. Um, great voices don't change. You know, it's, it's how you cover events. Don't those, those, foundational pieces those things don't don't change at all and, and interviewing to me is one of the strongest but i didn't i i got to espn in 2006 and while i was there got introduced to john sawatsky who a lot of espners know they call him like he's the interview guru he was uh, a wise old professor from from canada who came up with this idea that like the questions are what make a great interview it's the interviewer not the interviewee which is so reverse of how everyone else thinks and if you ask a lot of younger people or inexperienced people or even people who have been in the business a long time they'll tell you oh an interview is all about it's it's all about you know how comfortable you make your guests and how you set them up and if they really are engaging and charismatic and willing to talk and all that stuff is true to an extent but his whole philosophy was that it's all about the questions that you ask and having a strategy for an interview. And there's a whole method and people can read up on it online. And I, that's something else I always advise younger people to do. And I felt like the ability to interview, when I learned that, everything changed. And I was able to teach others that as well. But it's about asking open-ended questions. It's about making sure that when someone gives you something, a good nugget, when they're telling you an answer and say, yeah, you know, my sophomore year, I had this crazy thing happen to me. And then it changed my life. But then, you know, from that point on, I 
did, but went on and did this and this. And you need to know and hear for that and be a good listener and say, well, what was that crazy thing that happened to you your sophomore year? And, and, and so I, I feel like, I guess my point is that all, as much as everything is changing now, it's just like when, when newspapers would make fun of blog boys and all that. We still see long-form articles. We still see great reporting. It's just the format has changed. And I think the same thing is, has taken place too. And, and especially, you know, on the video side, it's still about production quality. It's still about telling great story. It's still about um, understanding how to, how to put uh, a package together. It's just, you know, it's different and the platform is different and things are changing by the day. But like, that doesn't mean that the, the foundational stuff goes away. Well, it's interesting to me because <clears throat> So many of the athletes coming up now have done interviews since they were 15 years old. You know, I mean, so by the time they're a sophomore or junior in college, they're they're pros, and that often means they're they're pretty jaded. They just kind of get mechanical in their answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, coaches certainly can be that way uh, because they're around it all the time. But that moment when you ask something, you kind of see their body language, almost their tension leave, like they're engaging with the question. That's. That's one of those subtle moments in an interview where like, I got gotcha. you. You know, it's like, uh, here we go. We're going to have a conversation now about something. And um, it's it's rewarding in a kind of a nerdy way. I don't know why I brought that up. I'm kind of embarrassed yeah, for myself. Yeah. We were, we, we were at uh, Elite 11 in, in L.A. Uh, a little over a month ago uh, covering, obviously, the top high school quarterbacks in the country, including Avery Johnson. But the entire crop of quarterbacks – to, to realize that these are high school kids mm-hmm. blew me away just and how polished they were. They were so poised and the level of composure as they're giving answers. And, and some are canned obviously. And it's a lot when you get into recruiting and it gets into what they're excited about for the future. And they've been asked some of the same questions over and over again, but I just couldn't get over like how engaged and, and interested these kids were and they're listening to the questions and that training they had done. And, and part of it's reps, you know, like you and I know it's, it's so much of what we do is, is how many reps you can get. And, and, and eventually you're going to get better no matter what, but I could not get over just how impressive all these, these young men were when we were going through all these interviews with them, it just, it, just to meet them in person and they're looking you in the eye and shaking your hand. And it was, wow, I, I could not, I could not get over it. And so it's, it's one thing you, you see all the stuff on the field and how impressive they are as athletes and how far they throw the ball or how accurately, but, but to see them as interview subjects and, and how they conduct themselves really blew me away, especially as a guy that, you know, again, we talk about, I have four kids I mean, I have two, I have an 18 and 16 year old teenage daughter, my other kids are five and two, but, but, my older girls like to know that, wow, these, these are the same kids that are going to high school every day. And I just, I could not get over it. So yeah, it's definitely the game has changed in terms of uh, how, how trained and, and how prepared these, these kids are now. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. 
There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, let's shift our focus right now to 24-7 and how you ended up there. (coughs) Your career is interesting. I mean, you you start out in Philly. Well, first of all, I admire you from going Philly, Ithaca, Topeka. Uh, I'm, that's that's a little culture shock right there. Uh, but uh, you end up at ESPN. You eventually uh, end up at the Pac-12 network. Mm-hmm. And that's how you end up at 24-7. Take me through that process and how you kind of engaged with CBS and, and ended up taking over, honestly, uh, you know, for a legend in our industry, Shannon Terry. Uh, yeah, well, I, like I said, I, 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 the first would say that I, I, I was telling someone this the other day, actually another publisher said, uh, I'd said that I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't, I didn't take over for Shannon because what he established was just, you know, something special, what he's done in the, in the business. I think for me, it's been about, you know, carving out, carving out my own path and, and working for having this position for, you know, Paramount and, um, in 24 seven. So, yeah, I, um, you know, it's interesting. It's almost like all these pieces that you don't realize are going to lead to, to where you, where you end up. Um, I was coordinated producer overseeing studio at, um, at, uh, the PAC 12 network. Um, and really what happened was that the, day that I decided to leave and I told them this in my, in my exit interview, but the day that I decided to leave, I remember it was so, if we go back in time for a moment in March, 2020 pandemic hits, uh, the national, you know, the national stage, Rudy Gobert and everything going on with that. Um, there's just panic setting in across the country and just like every other production facility, every other media outlet, everybody is basically go home and we're going to figure out how we, get on the air tomorrow. You know, what do we do? We all got to get on the air somehow. How do we do it? And this is a story that everyone has told because they all found a way to do it using zoom or, you know, home setups and all these things. And obviously how the, how the world changed in that regard. Um, so it's, it's March, we're doing that and we're, we're working on it for about a month. And then in April, I'm just about to have our well, and my wife's about to have our our second our <laughs> fourth child. For that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, uh, but no, our, our baby's about to come, and and I'm about to go on paternity leave. You know, trying to figure navigate that in the middle of a pandemic, and, and hospitals be you know in, in the in the condition that they were, and we're we're all nervous. But uh, all of a sudden, basically, I I got notified on a Saturday that all these people that uh, had worked under me this producers and APs and PAs all had gotten email saying that there's an HR meeting Monday morning. So they're all calling me and these are friends and colleagues that I've been working with for years and we built this place up and always knew that it was a, 
sticky situation at Pac-12, and there there wasn't really great stability at, at times. And and uh, but all these people that were super talented and were doing unbelievable production work. And I know there's a lot of talk about the Pac-12, and but on that, but the Pac-12 network had done just incredible work. We were very proud of what we had done, especially a lot of times, just like everyone else, being short-staffed and uh, really people didn't get to see it. That was the biggest knock on the on the Pac-12 mm-hmm. network. But anyhow. Uh, I get, so I'm telling people, well, I think, look, I, 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 they're calling me and saying, are we we getting cut? What's going on? I said, well, I haven't been notified. I don't know what's going on. So I didn't know. And then I just knew they had an HR meeting and I couldn't imagine that they were going to do layoffs at that point. And so I get a call Monday morning, about an hour before that HR meeting was scheduled for all these people that I was not you know, a part of, but I got this call and they said, Hey, just want you to know we're, we're cutting everyone on your staff, uh, your producers, APs, everyone that works in studio production. And we are letting go of your boss and you need to figure it out. That was it. We're going to a freelance model. And I, I mean, it was, that was it. It was, I knew that that day, like it didn't matter that they had kept me on board. It, it didn't make a difference. I, I realized that I was out. I, I, it wasn't something I wanted to, to be a part of anymore. I didn't want to see through. Um, and so that was when I started saying, all right, I need to start looking at what's ahead here. And I don't trust the, you know, I didn't trust the leadership. I didn't trust management. And not to say that's everyone. There's some really great people that are still at Pac-12 network and still are doing amazing work and, you know, dear to your friends that it, I mean, there's the awesome people over there. Um, David Cobb and Bob Schmelzley, who have been awesome in, in their leadership positions. And Ashley Adamson is an incredible host. And she, they're just wonderful friends to me and, and really talented people. But I just, for me, it was, that wasn't something that I wanted to be a part of anymore. You know, it was, it was the Titanic and I didn't want to be uh, one of the band members anymore, you know, just, just playing the music out. And so I um, saw an opportunity at, at, um, for uh, CBS Sports HQ actually and and started talking to them about some different position and ended up having great connection with some of the people over there and got to know them and and then um it really was about a few months later it was someone had contacted me and said well actually but it was um my uh, current boss now here in Portland who's incredible and he's he's number 2 at CBS Sports Digital and um and he had reached out and said, Hey, there, there might be a big opportunity for you here that we're, we're interested in. And Port and I knew each of each other at ESPN. We didn't really know each other. We, we were there at different times. And, and so we knew about each other, but we had never met. And, uh, so that was it. And then I went through the interview process, uh, when this position opened and it was funny, like I, I had, you know, Port had basically said, I, there was an opportunity in Nashville. It's, that's all I knew. And so as a guy that was a fan of 24 seven and recruiting and I, it, when, when this came up, it was just unbelievable. It just combined everything that I was always interested in. And so it was, it was incredible for me. And I interviewed with 15 people in the way that, you know, and another lesson that I've, I've told younger people and that how I attack the interview process was I'm going to know every single one of those people inside and out. I'm going to know everything about them. I'm going to listen to every podcast they've done. Uh, I'm going to, you know, if they played in a band, I'm going to listen to some of their songs, you know, it's, I, I'm going to figure out who these people are 
and went in and I said, I'm not going to let somebody outwork me during this interview process. If there, if I have this opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it. And it's sort of how I approach everything when it, when it comes to big decisions, it's, or a lot of the small ones, it's how, how can I put the work in and figure out what's the best way that we can be successful here. And so, yeah, I went through and I knew at some point in the interview process, it was going well because I was getting word back from people who, you know, I'm reaching out to every contact I had. And I said, Hey, every single person I interviewed with, I, they were probably going to get bombarded with three or four calls from somebody in the business saying, Hey, this is what I know about Adam. And, and so, um, at some point, um, I don't know if it was Joel Cox or someone, uh, that I had interviewed, reached out and said, I think he's getting fed answers because when we interviewed, <laughs> he had the right answers for this and that. But part of it was I was also taking notes when I did the first few interviews that I could tell the way that how, what people were asking me, what they really wanted to know. And so I was, you know, making sure I was, I was doing my homework in that regard, but I wasn't going to let this opportunity pass me by. So yeah, the, uh, I'd never been to Nashville before. And then flew the entire family here uh, last June and then a day a day ago uh, one year and one day ago um, we moved out to Nashville so um, August 6th of, of uh, 2021 and uh, it's been amazing ever since I mean it's the thing that, that blew me away since is the idea that I didn't know I knew how good 24-7 was, and I knew what kind of industry leader it was, but I didn't know how much talent was was within the walls. And it was the walls of Brentwood previously, and then, and then of course, on the team side side, too, and, and nationally, all the recruiting guys in our national group. But but I didn't realize all the talent that, that was here and, and all the people that made it go. Like, you know, you know, it's just like anything else. You watch a great movie, and you know that there's people involved, and it's awesome, and the end product is great. But until you get inside you don't realize the kind of people that they are and uh, the integrity they have. And I just, that's, what's really just shocked me is just how seriously people take the job. There's the people that have a lot of fun, but just the passion behind it. People just love what they do here. And I, I've never worked for a better organization is it by far and how, how people are taken care of. Um, and it's not blowing smoke. And it's, you know, I'm, I'd, I'd be telling you that if, if you weren't recording this phone call, you know, so uh, by the way, you are the king of the culture shock. San Francisco to Nashville is another good one. Um, <laughs> That's true. You know, but a lot of people that take over a position like yours are doing so because the the company, the entity is in a time of stress. Things may not go well. We're changing the leadership, blah, blah, blah. 24 7 is not that. And, and granted, we've got emerging new competition because of Shannon, but. 24-7 is continuing to thrive and evolve, and I'm excited about some of the stuff that 24-7 has on its docket for the future. I don't know how much you can talk about, but this isn't a stagnant company. The, the move from Brentwood to downtown Nashville into the CMT building wasn't just a, a real estate decision. Mm -hmm. it, it brought brought you into studios. It brought you into the heart of a city, which I, I kind of think is important to feel the motion and the significance of things and uh but there's some big things on the on the planning board for 24 7 sports and maybe you can fill fill me in a little bit on that and and, and let, let everyone listen to that yeah for sure i mean it was that's where i feel so fortunate and especially now seeing you know, for me personally what what's happened with with pac-12 and you know all the chaos over there and 
and the uncertainty. And to go from a situation like that to now um, understanding that that this is a company on the rise and growing. And like I said before, I don't think even people realize that there is this, you know, that we are a part of Paramount, that with it's CBS, that it's CBS Sports Digital and you know, CBS Sports HQ has been so successful as a as a digital entity, and I mean, even Comic Book dot com is 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 a wonderful organization. They happen to be within the, the CBS Sports Digital family as well. Um, it's it's been pretty cool. Uh, the Max Preps partnership. I mean, we're all just close. Sportsline. Everybody's everybody's connected here. Um, but you're right. I mean, the future is is so bright, and what we're trying to accomplish. And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to come that that we can't say. But what I can say is that there is uh, obviously they they I've been asked this. You know, people have asked me directly, like, why did they why did twenty four seven go with a, a TV guy for this this role this position? And the reason is because video is going to play such a big part in our future. And I know sometimes in the industry it's looked upon like, yeah, we hear that before. What does that mean? And people are going to do a few one-off videos. Like we are diving headfirst into how we approach uh, the video space and, and the stories that we tell. Uh, but most, most notably, we are going to work on um, creating shows, um, creating opportunities for our fans to now, um, have a chance to see 24 seven in a way that, that is going to be really enhanced, I think is, is the greatest. I mean, you look at what we've already done, uh, in terms of recruiting databases and the transfer portal and stuff that's written about nationally and on the team site side and the message board community, and all that is going to play a part. What we're doing on the team site side and, and having the coverage that we do, you know, I, I ultimately what I tell people all the time, and I, I um, just tweeted this yesterday, but we we are planning to own college football and college basketball. That's the goal, and that's the that's the north star every day. That every decision that I'm making, that we're making as an organization, is to get us in that direction. And so, sure, there's there's competition out there, and there's there's different recruiting sites and, and entities that that you know that also do a really good job. But but like for us, it's it's even more than that. It's it's how do we give fans like an incredible experience, and through. Uh, the ways that we're what we're working on on the back end in terms of um, look, the Josh Page is a great example of of sort of the direction that, that we're heading. What, what Josh has done with Late Kick and Josh and I are very close, and what he's what he's created there is incredible. And this is a guy uh, who's who's self made. He had this vision and really has has just exploded as a as a media star, but. It's because it's been original content. It's somebody who's bright, whose understanding of the space connects with fans, understands what people want. It's not regurgitated storylines. And it's how do we approach covering this stuff in a whole new way? And that's the way that, that we're looking at this. And so we're going to be creating shows and the, and the types of shows that, um, that we're creating. I always say it's, it's like the Maya Angelou quote, you you write the book that you want to read. And that's, that's what we're doing in terms of our show creation and, and from a video perspective. And so I know sometimes, again, the idea of video in the recruiting space, people either think of huddle or they think about it as, Oh no, I know Fox came in and Fox's whole strategy was we're not having writers anymore. We're going video. It's not that it's supplementing and it's, and it's having um, a symbiotic relationship between the two. So we're, 
we're pumped. We're, we are. We're going to we're going to take over college football and college basketball. And I think we do it because we can hit people on a micro level and then expand out and, and hit them on a macro level. And what I mean by that is when I talk to friends of mine and, and people that I really respect, both in the industry and then out of especially, people who are huge college football fans, huge college basketball fans, care about recruiting, those people, when I ask them, about their, they always tell me the same thing about about national networks or about how other people cover the sports. They always say the same thing, like, "Oh, I'm an Iowa fan, or Oregon, or or Nebraska, or Alabama. Doesn't matter." But they always say the same thing. When I love Joel Clad, or I love Herb Street, or you know, I love Desmond Howard. The moment those guys start talking about my school, that's when I change the channel. And you would think that that runs counter to what a fan would do. But anyone who's a diehard knows why that's the case. Because ESPN and Fox and a lot of these other entities that have gotten in the game, they cover it from a generalist perspective. And we are able to cover it on a micro level. How you cover Kansas State and what you know about the program and the recruiting is, and and where Bill Snyder is from, (laughs) to give you an example, like that, that's the kind of stuff that, that others just can't do, even if they wanted to. And ESPN has never wanted to play that game. They never have. And 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 look, they, obviously, for, for good reason in a lot of ways, right? That's not been necessarily the strategy. But for us, that's where I think there's a major advantage. And so having people that understand those locker rooms, people that have local accents, people that understand um, why a certain school recruits a certain way or, or a certain type of kid or the history in a program, that stuff, that's authenticity. And that's something that you can't fake. And there's no way around it. You can't cheat that. And so for me, when we're building this out in our whole video strategy, it's about okay, how do we incorporate all that we're doing? Already a wonderful job on the team side side, but now as a national group, as a, as a 24-7 sports entity, how do we how do we own college football? It's, it's by telling those stories and, and by having people like yourself come on and say, okay, here's what you need to know about Kansas State to understand why this makes sense or why Avery Johnson's commitment is, is such a big deal as it relates to the rest of this class and why this class is so important, you know, as just an example. And I think that's the thing that that's going to separate us. And so I already love 24 seven. I loved, I love what we do on a daily basis. I think no one has a better recruiting team, what we're doing now on the basketball side. We, we added Adam Finkelstein to a group that Eric Bossy leads and between Travis Branham and Brandon Jenkins and Sean London. I mean, I feel like we have the best basketball recruiting team in the country now and, and our rankings reflect that. Um, and then same thing on the football side. I mean, I definitely think we dominate football recruiting coverage and what Steve Wilfong has done. And you go around the country and it's Brandon Huffman, it's Greg Biggins, it's Alan True, Brian Dome. Um, and then you, you, um, Andrew Ivins, and you start to throw other people in that now are evaluators and Cooper Patagna and Chris Singletary. I mean, the, the, what's been put together here is just really remarkable and we're going to continue to grow and we're going to continue to provide all that coverage. And now it's just going to be like on steroids because now those fans that are already subscribing and getting a wonderful product or people that just stop by to check out, you know, the database here and there, and maybe don't even subscribe yet. Like 
all of these people are now going to even get content that's even more catered to what it is that they care about and they love and, and that's going to supplement their experience. So I just, I'm excited. I, I say it all the time. The future is what's got me so pumped. I love the fact that I'm here and that we, this machine has been put in place and we're going to be successful. And even if we didn't do anything to enhance what we were doing, there's no doubt that it would just keep chugging along and we'd be successful, but we are making enhancements and improvements tweaking things um and we are just about to go on uh you know hyperspeed and just take this thing to a whole nother level i keep saying so yeah we're going to own college football and college basketball well what i love about what we do is it's all community-based i mean you, you kind of put down your roots and your your foundation is in the kansas state community or the kansas community or the texas community you know all these things you build and then you go upwards from that and you've got the communities as your foundation while a lot of national entities almost build a facade you would see at a movie it, it looks great but it's made of styrofoam it's not <laughs> it's not tangible uh but it, it it does do what they need to do because they're not rooted in the, these communities and uh what i most enjoy about 24 7 is my colleagues at the community level those of us running the team sites are journalists first um and that yeah. that hasn't always been the history of our industry unfortunately a lot of a lot of fans that started doing stuff and they never shifted from being a fan to working as a journalist um i always tell students i'm a i practice community journalism but my community all wears purple I mean, that's just how this community works. It's not Abilene. It's not Topeka. It's all these purple people that root for one school, which means you have to be fair. You have to be honest. You have to be truthful. Um, and But you also can't say everything's rosy when it's not. So I, I appreciate that about 24-7. We've got a lot of people out there doing the journalism end of it while still embracing the community side of it, which is a, it's tough for us old journalists to do. I, I, I could not agree with with that any anymore i mean it, it's 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 so true um i you know it's funny when i first took the job um i have two brothers my my youngest brother's in uh in sales and he was just asking me he said you know i'm i'm trying to figure this 24 7 thing out like in terms of and he knew 24 7 and he he was a fan too but he's but he's like now that i was there and he was taking a harder look at it he's like i don't understand like why doesn't just some other big media company, couldn't they come in and just take over a market if they wanted to? And, you know, at first when I got here, I thought it was an interesting question. And I, and I, it's something that I always think about now. It's like, okay, why is it that, that any one team site um, has success and why have they carved out their market share? Why are they winning in a particular market and looking at that? And what I've, what I've learned is what I was saying before is that the, the fans know and they appreciate and, and you have to be honest with them. And I think there's, there's a part of honesty. And of course, yeah, I mean, everybody's got purple shirts on, but they, but they need someone that's going to represent who they are and speaks for them, right. who, who talks to them in a way that they understand. And so to have just someone come in and for it to all of a sudden be, Oh, here's an, the ESPN Kansas state site. And some guy coming in who's from, I don't know, pick your location, Houston, or, you know, comes from Charlotte or something, and all of a sudden starts trying to cover K-State. Like, it just, the, the not understanding the history, not understanding the background, not understanding the fans as people, 
understanding the community, as you say, if, if you try to do that, you're inauthentic and, and it's never going to, to be a success. And so you can throw money at a problem, but that doesn't solve the problem. And, and, and so not to say that any of these, you know, it's not like these markets are a problem, but it's more to say that that's the, you know, it's like, that's sort of a government fix on things is like, Oh, just throw money at it. When, when people will say, no, you have to get out in the community and be a part of it and be active yourself. You can't just donate money. And that's sort of the same thing. And that's exactly why 24 seven has been so successful because people spend time boots on the ground. They understand uh, locally what, what they're, they're accomplishing on the team site side. And I'm just been, I, I've been so impressed. I mean, I've learned so much and spent so much time. I didn't realize how nuanced it all was and understanding the different personalities that you know, on the team site side and, and all, um, you know, and, and, but these people have so much to offer and are so interesting and, you know, and they got their starts in different ways, but everybody takes pride in the, in the job and to grow their site and to really more than anything else is to serve their, their community. They really do. It's, it's, that's been the awesome part is that team sites, as much as they'll be excited and I'm sure the same thing holds true for you, Fitz. As much as anybody's excited about, oh, that's what 24 is doing, and we're going to be awesome, and we got Paramount behind us and supporting us locally on the team side side, um, it's okay, but how is this going to um, serve my subscribers? How is this going to serve the people that come to my site? How is this going to you know, help people that, that care enough to, to post comments on the message board? And that's really what it should be about. It's about, hey, I'm taking care of people locally in this community. How is it going to help them? And that's, so that's why everything that we think about too, when I talk about these, these grand plans and what we want to do and where we want to go, it's about us doing it all together. It's not about just this big company is doing this and the team sites are separate. It's, Hey, we're all doing this together so that it's not just some random national fan because really college sports, the fandom starts at a local level. And as long as people appreciate that first, I think internally, then, then, then we'll all be aligned in this, in this goal of going to this place that no one in this industry has been before. We've got a long time here and, I've got a few topics I want to touch with you um, because I'm intrigued by this. You come from the Pac-12, and I'd be uh, remiss, and you covered it. Is the Pac-12, now the Pac-10, going to survive in its current format? Or what, what's your views as someone who's been kind of there in the middle of all that? Uh, I I don't know what survival looks like. I didn't, you know, I was there for the, the Larry Scott era. Um I got to the Pac-12 network at in 2013, so the network was in its infancy. It had, it had only been around for a year when I got there. Um, Mike Yam, who is former face of the Pac-12 now at, at NFL Network, Mike uh, had uh, you know, asked him to recruit me, and and we um, he was he was amazing there, um, and it was. Uh, that first year, I remember too, when they were starting out, I was still at ESPN and he would reach out and say, Hey, we're getting this network started. And I know something's wrong on the shot sheet or, or the way this highlight is done or the way this, this, this show is being laid out, but I don't know necessarily how to express it. You know, he's coming from an anchor perspective and I had a producer background. So he's reaching out saying, you know, how should I go about trying to tell them to tweak this? And then a year later, I'm, I'm at the company myself, you know, trying to get us in the right direction. Um, it's, 
I, I really don't know. I mean, obviously George has some has some big decisions to make um, and how he's playing this. I mean, it's the whole Pac-12, Big 12, who eats who first, I think. Um, I When I was there um, and there were some some smart leaders on the, on the conference side, but I don't know that I would have trusted, um, the leadership to, to, um, really be forward thinking enough to make the chess moves that were necessary. And now we see this, I, I think the thought was always, Hey, this is this media entity, this property that we own the whole thing. Uh, the, the Pacto network had a lot to do with that, that, that it was like, we own, our network as opposed to, you know, the big 10 network, uh, had, you know, majority stake owned by Fox or sec network being owned by ESPN. I mean, this was sort of a different type of strategy. Uh, and that the thought was always under, under Larry. I remember the thought was sort of, okay, well we own this. So when the media rights deal comes up, we're going to have so much more negotiating power. And I don't think anyone ever took into account, well, maybe the LA schools are going to bounce. So, I don't know. I, I really don't know where things are headed. I, I'm hopeful, you know, for the people that are there and, and we're a part of the network and, and again, doing, doing big things. I hope it ends up in a good place. Um, if it was the prior leadership, then I think, I don't think we would have had a chance um, at this doggy dog world, but I don't know. I George was brought in, I think for this purpose, um, to figure it all out. And so it's up to him to, to try to make the right, the right chess moves. But, um, you know, there's some, I will say there's some really, I think the the one thing that I learned being there and spending almost eight years at the network was there are a lot of fans who are diehards. And I know that it, it's really upset them that that things have gone the way they have, even in, even in terms of, you know, UCLA. I mean, there's, there's some guys at at UCLA. I'm very close with Earl Watson and Freddie Mitchell, two legends at the school. And I'm, I'm on the group text with those guys. And they tell me like, they're so disappointed, like that the history is gone now that no matter what happens, I mean, it's never going to be the same. And that, that, so they're really upset personally, about the fact that they're not going to be a part of it going forward. So I think, I don't know. I, I think in general, when I, when I look at the whole operation, um, there's a chance there's, there's still a hail Mary pass that could be, could be completed. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, I'm not overly optimistic about the, about the future of the Pac-12, which means, which by the way, doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing for college football. I just think there's a lot of great fan bases there and a lot of people who really care. I mean, Oregon Duck fans, super passionate, um, you know, and those schools are unique and, and there's so much to bring to the table. I didn't realize how impressive Stanford athletes were until spending a lot of time with them. Um, and, you know, I, it was it was a really you know obviously Arizona basketball fans are about as diehard as you'll find. I, you know, there's a lot to do at Arizona State, but they still find a way um, to care about their teams and stuff. So I don't know. Um, and then you forget it, like the smaller communities in Corvallis or Pullman. Um, again, people that just really are passionate about about their schools. And so I hope for. I, I hope things get figured out what's what's in the best interest of everybody, but obviously something's going to happen between the big 12 and Pac-12. And I just assume that the big 12 is going to strike first and that'll be the, the downfall of the Pac-12 would be my ultimate guess. Yeah. If I were to. That's, that's where I'm leaning, but we'll see how it all plays out. Um, 
Now, during this whole process, we've seen SEC emerge with ESPN, and now the Big Ten emerge as an, you know a powerhouse with Fox. And during that, CBS has lost its connection to the SEC. Do you see? I know this is above your pay grade a little bit, but CBS and Paramount and all the entities that they have that could cover college football. Do you see them getting into a relationship with like a Big Twelve? Uh, I mean, it's definitely now we're talking about, you're right. It is, it is above my pay grade and it's decisions being made that are, that are way above, you know, my thoughts on it and opinions. But I, I know one thing right now about the organization and know where Paramount's headed and, and CBS and some of the leadership here, they're not going to stand still. I can tell you that much. And knowing, you know, it, it, Jeff Gertula, who, you know, again, runs CBS Sports Digital and now he's actually overseeing. Uh, digital space on the new side and I mean he's he's unbelievable and extremely talented individual and he um, great leader and and um, he he understands just like the rest of the leadership I've been involved in so far at, at Paramount I've just been shocked at how forward thinking everyone is and how they're always thinking two steps ahead and so yeah I, I think there's Absolutely, without question, I know that no one's going to be um, sitting on their hands for this one. There's going to be there's going to be movement, and I think I think it'll end up in a good place. There's no question based upon um, what I've been around without knowing without knowing anything, without getting myself in trouble by saying something. I don't I don't have any inside information about it, but just knowing that the players involved, um, I know that we'll be aggressive as an organization and we'll do what's best by the fans and by the company. Like that's, that's typically what's, what's been successful recently for this. And I can, and I just know that there's no one knowing the situation that we're in, there's no, no other place I'd rather be than, than at Paramount and at CBS in terms of understanding, okay, how are we going to navigate the future moves? Like that, I, just like I said before, there was times in the past I didn't trust leadership. I can tell you, I trust, I trust ours right now. now that's one of the things I love about working for this organization is I feel like they're looking at their horizon, not their feet. And it's really nice. Final thing I want to ask you about it, because I'm intrigued by it, this emergence of sports betting on a national basis. For God's sakes, Adam, we have it coming in Kansas. It's coming to Kansas. <laughs> You'll be able to sin with uh, the government uh, being getting paid for it. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, but it is going to impact all sports, particularly at the college level now, as the NCAA starts to kind of open up a little bit to it. It's not the evil entity that maybe people once perceived where do you see sports betting fitting into maybe how we do our our jobs at a at this kind of community level that expands upward as i've explained i think ultimately it starts with you know really the the knowledge it's it's wild how the fans are so much more informed now um, just across the board but certainly when you get into the betting space um just the understanding of of what it means i mean it's it, it's weird because this stuff is all intersecting at the same time and and i who knows what that leads to anyone who pretends to or 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 says they they know what the future holds is is crazy because when you combine nil and everything going on with transfers and then 
you know, the NCAA getting so nervous about the crumbling of their organization and expansion for the playoffs. And then you throw gambling in on top of that. Another, another item that the NCAA has always been so fearful of and, and trying to protect the quote unquote student athlete, which is a ridiculous term, um, you know, made up so that, so that, uh, athletes wouldn't get, wouldn't get paid at the college level. Um, you, you throw all those things together and it's, I don't know where it's going to end up. I know that the NCAA is going to you know try to quote unquote protect uh the players and and more importantly the well the players i don't want to say more importantly but but the integrity of the game is is going to be um certainly um like prominently figured in i mean you that's that's the whole thing that the worry is 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 how does it leak down but the truth is people are already here's the thing that's what they're going to tell you and that's going to be the messaging the truth is gambling on college football is going on all over the country. And I don't care where you live. It's, it's happening um, locally. And if, if, if you're not involved with it, I can guarantee someone on your street is. And so I, I think that it's just embraced more. And so what that ends up looking like, uh, how it plays out, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I know that it's our job in, in the media to inform our fans and our audience and to cover it in a big way and to make sure they're being served. And I think, honestly, what I think we, we, we see also is how fantasy plays a role. And, you know, it's obviously fantasy and, and the gambling space are oftentimes connected now as, as things move forward. And even though it's not necessarily always the same audience that you're playing to, it's, it's still... Uh, they, they sort of go hand in hand. I, I think we're going to see fantasy sports on the college level become way more prominent. I think that we're, we're going to start seeing where you're seeing a lot of leagues of, of uh, that's, I think, going to be a, a big next step at some point. I don't know when that happens. I mean, it, it, you, you can find pockets of it, right? There's, there's, there's places where that happens, but I think that'll, that'll be much bigger. But I think, I think you're just going to start to see, um, which you already are, but you're going to start to see gambling become way more mainstream in terms of the college space. So whether it's on broadcast, whether it's on shows, um, it's, it's really covered in a, in a big way, just like we see it for the NFL or NBA or other major leagues. And you're starting to see ESPN embrace it and some other organizations now try to take it on. And, you know, Van Pelt, who I used to work with uh, SVP and, and Rosillo on, on their radio show and their radio show simulcast on TV, um, when they, they always, they, they were one of the early adopters of, of getting in the gambling space and, and, um, talking about it on air. But I think it's up to us now to inform our viewership. And plus we're in a good position to do that because we have the relationship that we do with sports line. I mean, the sports line people are in our office here in Nashville. And so I, I think it's, it's just about informing the fans and, and really taking this to the next level and how much we are personally providing people opportunities to do that. I, I don't know, but I, the partnerships, I think between the, uh, the betting outlets, the platforms, I think all those things sort of come together and, you know, I don't know how those partnerships ultimately merge, but certainly I think it's our job to, to inform the fans and inform the public about, Hey, this is the implication. This injury means this, this is what the line was previously, or, you know, Bud Elliott does a wonderful job with that. Josh Pate mm -hmm. talks, gives picks on Fridays, Bud has on Sundays, he, he provides, um, here's the ways that you can get value in the early lines before the, before the lines move. So, um, our, we have a very knowledgeable staff about that already. 
Um, and so now it's just our job when we when we continue to create these productions, how do we implement that and, and inform the fans? Well, two final thoughts as we wrap up here. First of all, I just want to let you know um, that the whole key to the, this business is trying to stay on the front wave, trying to figure out what's the next thing and get on it and, and work it. But I, I want you to know that if we end up in the hologram space, um, you're going to need to find another K-State publisher because nobody wants hologram fits in their living room. I'm just saying. I'm, there's no way. There's no way anyone's going to invite that into their house. I would. I would. I, I think that some of your segments um, provide me with uh, with a good laugh. They, it's uh, it's good hearted. I, I, I would like it. So okay. I, maybe I'm one of one, but but I, I, I want that. Fits. OK, well, if we can figure out how to have holograms with uh, where I could drink in people's houses, that'd be good, too, because I'd raid their liquor cabinet while they were there. But anyhow, I also we didn't even talk about this. And it's an important topic to you. But um your relationship with Kobe, covering him in high school all the way up, it's really special, isn't it? You've just got a better understanding, and what happened really hit you hard, didn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, well, we were contemporaries. I, I was actually in high school same time he was. I was um, class of 95 in southeastern PA in, in District 1, and uh, Kobe was 96, um, and yeah, he was, it's funny. Like it was just for our area. He was, he was the guy I, I had friends who were playing summer league ball with him and in the sunny Hill league, um, knew about Kobe <clears throat> pretty early on. And it was just such a big deal. And to go back to that period of time, I mean, we were talking over 25 years ago and just the idea that he was, he was so special and there was also this weird disconnect it was like again you talk about comes full circle this idea that unless you understand that community unless you're in it then that outsiders won't get it but for us we so we're in the suburbs of philadelphia and we had some really good basketball being played at the time and at football as well like i like i mentioned earlier but on the basketball side we had some serious talent i mean district semifinals was kobe's team and rip's team and they end up meeting as their best players in the NBA finals of their, of their given teams. Um, but there was so much talent coming out of Southeastern PA at the time. And it was always thought of though, that it was just Philly that had all the talent and here come the suburbs. And we knew there was crazy talent at Chester, Coatesville, all these schools playing with white marsh. And when, so, but Kobe wasn't respected among the city, uh, among the city writers and stuff. And they thought he was foolish for, declaring for the NBA draft when he did, but it's funny. I mean, he was so connected. My mom knew Kobe's birthday because she thought it was the coolest thing that here's this high school kid that was on the national stage and took Brandy to the, her, to his high school prom and all. And then I went to college and knew people who had gone to high school with him. Obviously I saw him play a, a bunch in, in high school and, and, and everything. And then, and then I go work on this high school sports show a couple of years later and, um, and uh, it was it it was wild because Kobe had always been coming in the office at, at that time, and at this point he's already in the NBA and succeeding. But I always say there was it was crazy. His after his I'll I'll tell you this real quick after his um, first year in the league, um, I had been telling everyone about Kobe when I was in college, and I'm like, hey, this kid is coming up. He's He's going to be huge. And people that knew high school basketball knew about Kobe Bryant, but didn't know what he was going to be. And I'm like, I'm telling you, like, it's just on another level. This guy is just, I've never seen anything like it before. 
And so anyway, his, so I had, uh, he had finished up his rookie year in the NBA and I'm on South street with a, a girl I was dating in college and uh, the way South Street was, everybody's out in the streets and there's all these people and walking around and it's, it was great, like social scene and stuff. And they had all these like windows you could go and, and get food. And so I'm about third in line to get food at this window. And right next to the window is Kobe leaning against the wall with a couple of his friends. Now there's tons of people there. And so, and no one knows who Kobe is and people are just walking through and all this. I mean, he's a tall guy, but, but still there were a lot of people there. It's downtown Philly, summertime, nothing better. So I turned to the girl that I'm with and I said, do you know who that is? And she said, no, I said, that's, that's Kobe Bryant. She didn't know anything about sports. And she's like, who? I said, we use a rookie this year with the Lakers. He's so young, came in the league at 17. I'm trying to explain in 30 seconds, but she has no like interest in stuff. And I can't believe that he's just standing there and everything. But so anyway, um, a minute later, a minute later, I'll never forget. This cop walks up and starts telling these guys, Kobe and the two guys he's with that you can't stand around here you can't be congregating here and there's no, there's no standing around. You got to keep it moving. And the cops harassing these guys very clearly because yeah. it was three larger black dudes. And I, and, and I, I could not believe what I'm witnessing. And as it's happening, like they're sitting there, Kobe's sort of leaning back, just like smiling, like in disbelief. And the other guys are sitting there going like, what, what are you talking about? Look around you. Everyone was doing this. I mean, the entire, it's like an entire street is all like that. And the cops like, no, you got to keep it. You got to get going. You got to get going. So it, luckily it, that was the end of the incident and he left without incident. But I had, I had thought about that moment a lot in the sense that you, if that happens a year later, certainly five, 10, 20 years later, that cop is walking up asking for pictures and autographs for his kids. And it always, it always struck me, but um, yeah, we, I, there were a lot of connections. Like I said, that the high school sports show I worked on, they had, um, Kobe had been a big part of it a couple of years prior because he would come in it was a small production house in Philly. There was like eight or nine people who worked there and Kobe would come in to, uh, he knew the guys that worked on the high school show and a guy named Jeremy treatment, who now does, um, play by play sports camps all over the country. Um, treat was an assistant on, on, uh, lower Marion's high school team, Greg Garner and, um, was the, was the high school coach, but treat was like a volunteer assistant, but he also worked on the high school show that we had. So Kobe used to come in before I got there, but it was like all the guys would tell me about it. The Kobe would come in and he'd want to see tape of Rip Hamilton or, Matt Carroll, who's at Happer Horsham, or Howard Brown, who went to play at Villanova. He wanted to see like who his competition was and study tape and all that kind of stuff. So he used to be in this tiny office. So I knew, I mean, the stuff that I had known, uh, you know, about Kobe and who he was and all that from those days and the guys he had played with. Yeah, it was, they, he, he was deeply connected to the people that were in Southeastern PA. And like I said, he represented suburbs basketball which at the time you know was a big deal to me and so um yeah it's 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 still even now hard to hard to fathom and then i was working on a podcast a couple of years ago with um 
a friend of mine named Noah Kozlov who covers the NBA and uh, is a play-by-play guy. And, and uh, Noah and I had a, had a podcast and we, everyone, every one of our guests, it seemed like we had interviewed and talked to about Kobe and they all had these amazing Kobe stories and Jeff Perlman who wrote the Kobe book. Uh, he wrote a book on Kobe and Shaq. Uh, I'd mentioned her Watson, but guys, uh, anyway, uh, there was so many legendary guests, Mark Jackson, the former, uh, temple center who played in the NBA for years, not, not the coach, but the other Mark Jackson, he, grew up playing with Kobe and you know, Alvin Williams and all those guys. Uh, so anyway, we used to always ask it just every, at some point, Hey, what was Kobe's work ethic? Like, you know, what was your favorite Kobe story? Everybody had one. And so, um, through the NBA connections I made through the years, that's one of my favorite topics. Like, Hey, tell me your best Kobe workout story. And everyone's got one. And so we had that. And then a few, so yeah, we did this podcast and, uh, and we put together a culmination of like all the best Kobe stories, which I don't know, it's, it's probably still out there, um, on, on the old podcast, but yeah. So thanks for bringing that up. That it was, uh, that's really yeah, cool. it's a crazy uh, time. I, I tell you what, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James prove me wrong when I say you can't skip steps because they did. But kids, you better be A, elite, and B, have elite work ethic and continue to work on your craft, whether it's basketball, journalism, plumbing. I don't care. Uh, If if you don't work on your craft, you're you're not going to get to where you want to go. Adam, it's been great. I appreciate it so much. A lot of time on a Sunday morning, but... uh, it, it it was good get, getting to know you a little bit better and also letting all the people over at gopowercat.com hear you and understand why I'm so fired up about being part of 24-7. Awesome. I appreciate it, Fitz. And there's nothing I'd rather be doing on a on a Sunday morning than talking to you. Maybe maybe hanging out with your hologram, having a few drinks. That might yeah. be the only uh, better alternative. But I, but I, you know, I, you look, you're you're a major part of, of this whole thing and, and what we're building. And, and this is why I, I was fired up about the job is the people like you, and um, see the passion that you put in and, and the attention to detail, and uh, you know. I know the, the Power Cat fans are, are lucky to have you there, and, and I feel like we're lucky to have you at 24-7. So thank you as thank, well. Thank you, brother, and I, I hope to make it down to Nashville because I'm way overdue. I haven't seen the new digs. I want to see the new digs because I'm a, I'm a dork about that kind of stuff. But I will come visit you sometime soon. I appreciate that. I can't, I can't wait to see you then. Okay. Good to talk to you. All right. Same. Bye. Thanks. Honestly, normally I would cut some of this out, and I did that with a recent interview because it was too long, but this stuff was just so good and so uh, on point. I I had to ask him at the very end about Kobe because I know Kobe's death hit Adam really, really hard, as did a lot of us, even myself, who wouldn't count myself as a Kobe fan. I'm not an NBA guy. It stung. I'm really happy Adam's in charge of 24-7 sports. Not because he started in Topeka or he's a great guy. I just feel like he understands us as a network. He knows what we do, the value of what we do, and also how that all ties into the larger structure of CBS Sports and Paramount, even though 24-7 exists on the CBS digital side, not the sports side. But we all kind of work together, and Adam's playing a big role in that. I appreciate you listening so much. And remember, men, if you're 45 or older, and Adam's getting there, please get to your doctor. 
Get your PSA scored. It's the best way for early detection of prostate cancer. I appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you real soon.